As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Andy Staples Show. Happy Friday! It's a little bit different Friday here because uh, Ari Wasserman, new dad, is on new daddy duty. So we brought in the big guns. Mr. Mandel, Stuart Mandel, the boss man himself. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Uh, I just want to state off the top, I will not be doing any crazy food challenges the way uh, Ari does with you. This was the text I got when I asked Stuart if he'd come on the show. I don't have to do any of the food stuff. Like I don't have to eat a death chip or or yeah. eat a whole banana without the with the peel and everything. I was like, no, 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 it's fine. You just come on. We we, the, we have the, too the, much the, respect the death for chip you. is still one of the the moment he touched his eyes with the glove was like a horror movie. I felt like I was going to jump out of my skin. It was <laughs> just awful. So I, I'm. By the way, thank you LSU for saving me by half a point. For the death chip, uh, or no, by a whole point, I guess. LSU was a, was a two-point favorite and won by three last week. So the, the death chip is now off the table for me. No, we will not make you do any of that. We've we've got some, some interesting lines this week to talk about because you and I were talking about this before the, we started recording. You know, a lot of times Ari and I, we, we hit the big games because that's what everybody wants to talk about, but then we'll go hunting for, for odd over-unders or odd lines it feels like the odd lines are in the bigger games this week. Correct. In fact, the weird I don't know if you want me to bring this up now, but to me the weirdest line is Clemson against is a uh, Yes. Clemson Clemson you sense me. Hold on. Clemson is a 15 and a half point favorite against BC, an undefeated BC team, and maybe BC is not as good as their record, but I don't know. Clemson has not shown me they're capable of scoring 15 and a half points in regulation of a football game. Well, the and the over under on that is 46 and a half. So what are we really talking about here? We're talking about uh, 31 to 15. Is that 30, 32 to 16? Is that the that's the game we're expecting from Clemson? What what I mean, Vegas what has Clemson to set shown it. you that says they're going to score 30 something on Boston College. Yeah, I mean, Vegas has to set it. Right. So the people bet on both sides of it. I'm guessing they think that the public at large is maybe not as down on Clemson as the college football media, if you will. Uh, it, I would recommend they read Bruce and uh, 
uh, Grace's story and you'll think twice about that. But um, yeah, I, I, I think Clemson will win, but at this point, them losing to just about anybody would not surprise me. And certainly that by, by 17 points would really surprise me. Well, yeah, BC covering this seem that, that feels like a pretty safe bet. Like, I, I don't know that BC wins outright. And, and look, if Phil Kovic was healthy, I don't think this line would look like this. Right. But he's not. But Dennis Grossell looked okay against Missouri. Not not fantastic, but that running game for Boston College, they, they can move the ball on the ground. Granted, that's somewhat more difficult against Clemson, but not, I mean, Clemson's down their best two defensive tackles. So I'm not even sure NC State is a better team than BC. The team that just I'm not beat either. Clemson. So well, we're we're gonna go from them losing to NC State to clobbering uh, BC. I don't know. I, I, I you know you're you're you're. It's always dangerous to question Vegas. So yes, they always both, seem to know. They always seem what, to know. But this one's a weird one. Let's let's go to another Vegas always seems to know line, and that's this is one of the bigger games. Arkansas at Georgia. Arkansas is the darling of America. Uh, they've beaten Texas. They've beaten Texas A&M. But they are 18.5-point underdogs at Georgia. And and the reason I didn't completely get all over this when I saw it was I watched K.J. Jefferson hop, hobble around at the end of the Texas A&M game. And I've seen Georgia enough times this year to think, all right, if he's hurting and he's not the kind of run threat that he normally is, a one-dimensional offense against Georgia is not not what you want to bring. That's a, that's a scary proposition. I think he, yeah. I mean, if he's healthy, it's hard for me to see this being as lopsided as they say it's going to be because I, I feel like we've jumped to some conclusions on Georgia. Obviously, when they did what they did to Clemson at the time, it was like, holy cow, these guys have the greatest defense in, in the history of college football. And oh, but no, we now know that Everybody's doing that to, to Clemson. And then since then, they've just been beating up on UAB, South Carolina. Um, beating up on UAB is actually Andy. their most impressive win at this point. Yeah, and I would just say that none of these teams had a quarterback that could really test their... Remember, the was Georgia's basically one question coming into the season was their secondary. And they haven't faced yeah. a quarterback that can test it, and that includes DJ. So KJ Jefferson is, I think... Uh, not yet Cam Newton, as CBS was trying to make him out to be last week, but definitely a, hard uh, definitely the best quarterback Georgia's faced so far. And um, we'll see. I mean, I think I think I would be surprised if it's like, you know, 31 to seven Georgia. Yeah, I, I think and, and the thing is, Arkansas's de- defensive front and linebackers are going to test Georgia because Georgia's not Georgia doesn't have that dynamic back at least so far maybe it's Kendall Milton but but he's got a shoulder injury that that kind of flared up in the South Carolina game they don't have the DeAndre Swift the Todd Gurley the you know that that type Sony Michelle that type of back who can kind of control the game on the ground because I think that's that feels like the thing that offense is missing because Darnell Washington it sounds like he's going to be back this week so the the that's a very dynamic player a six seven 280 pound tight end who can run. Uh, I think Georgia's passing game is going to be just fine. Is actually going to get better as the the weeks go on. Oh yeah. As guys the get question healthy. is, can they, can they run on teams? And uh, Arkansas showed 
some vulnerability to that against Texas A&M last week because Isaiah Spiller did pop a long touchdown run. It was really the only thing A&M's offense did all day. Uh, Can Georgia control the game on the ground? That's the only way I see them completely blowing out Arkansas, and I'm just not sure that's going to happen. Right now, the Georgia offense is basically see that big freaky tight end that you can't cover, throw to him. Um, well, but that's the freshman. That's that's Brock Bowers. That's the freshman. That's the, the big freaky tight end hadn't shown up yet. He shows up this week. Yeah. I mean, just it's like uh, when Andrew Luck was at Stanford and all this, all their, all his top targets were tight ends. Um, yeah. Zach. That works. offense. Oh, wait. That now offense we signed will be Levine fine. Toilolo. Come on. Cover him. Yeah, exactly. Good, good pull. That offense will be fine. Uh, Georgia should win the game. Um, by the way, Bruce and I were talking about this on our on the Audible. If Arkansas wins, they should like tell me why they shouldn't be the number one team in the country or number two team in the country or something like that. That would be three. Well, they would. You know, it's not you quite would have to make three based on resume wins. alone. You'd have to make them number one. And 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 you know everybody's screaming. Well, what about Alabama? Well, you they they play Alabama. You, they can figure that out when they play. But you know it, it their resume would be better than anybody's resume, especially if if Texas and A and M are winning afterward. And I just. I think Georgia's going to be too much for them. I think Arkansas is really good. They're not some plucky underdog story. They're a legitimate, flat-out good team. I just think that Georgia is probably an elite team, and that's that's why Georgia wins this game. So speaking of Alabama, I thought really hard about pulling the trigger on Lane. I really did. Uh, Against the spread, I feel like it's a pretty safe pick. Yeah? Straight yeah. up, I don't. Everybody freaked out after the Alabama-Florida game. Oh, Alabama has got all these issues. I, I think that may have been a bit overstated. At the end of the day, it was you're playing a, a mar, you know, right on the fringe top 10 team on the road in a hostile stadium. Um, but what I will say is Bryce Young, really good. Uh, yes. They're not quite as scary good as they've been the past couple of years, to be expected. And... If 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 Ole Miss is able to do on offense what they did in last year's Alabama game, then I think Ole Miss will win. I just think that Saban's going to have that defense better prepared for that no huddle, and um, I could see them. You know, you did a great story of Matt Corral this week. We know that he he's not scared to throw it, and because of that, he sometimes throws some picks. I could see that happening as well. I think Lane and Hugh Freeze, while they run different offenses. They both understand how to pick at Nick Saban defenses. And this feels a lot to me like 2014 going into 2015, where everybody's like, well, you know, yeah, Ole Miss won last year, but there's no way they can come in and do it again. And then they did. Now, there was some straight-up dumb luck in that game where a ball bounced off a guy's helmet and uh, Swag Kelly winds up with a touchdown pass when he should have had an interception. Wasn't that also the game where Saban started Cooper Bateman? At quarterback, it is. It yeah. is. It was the game that they realized Jacob Coker was their 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 starting. Quarterback I have a little more faith in their current quarterback. Yeah, I, I have a lot more faith in their current quarterback, but I don't have faith in them to score sixty three. No, like they did last year. This isn't Stuart, that offense. Many, this isn't Devontae how many Smith. First Najee round Harris. draft picks played on Alabama's offense last year. Trivia question: How many? When, uh, when they played Ole Miss, like ones that have actually already become first round picks, like yes. four or five, right? Five. Five. Because Jalen Waddle was still healthy. Five. They had five first round draft picks. They and probably if you tell have me that within now, the next two to three years, 
we see five more from this offense, I wouldn't be surprised. But you're not going to, you know, they were going to have a bit of a drop off. Also, I think Bill O'Brien is still figuring out how exactly he wants to put his stamp on it. And, and you know, I had a, a, a somebody suggest to me that would know that studies this stuff that because of his NFL training, he doesn't use tempo the way Kiffin and Sark do. And so that gives the other team a chance to, it gives Todd Grantham a chance to get in the package that he wants to. Um, right. Now Ole Miss. And, and DJ Durkin has that chance. Now DJ Durkin doesn't he have has that chance. That I don't Todd know if he Grantham has the players. Disposal. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't. But they're better. Well, this will be an interesting window into, okay, how much, if at, if at all, has their defense improved? Yeah. And, and I think they're, they're somewhat better. I don't think they're, they're a ton better, but when you look at the fact that they had starters from last year's defense grad transferring to go somewhere else so they could play because they were going to lose their jobs, I do think you can reasonably assume they're somewhat better than they were last year. So, yeah. They played really well against Louisville, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think this is going to be a fun game. I think this is going to be relatively high-scoring, competitive. I don't think Alabama's going to blow Ole Miss out. It really, like you said, may come down to Corral – and how hard is he pressing to try to be? Because he didn't try to be Superman in that game last year. You know, he took what the defense gave him and he played a near perfect game against Alabama. And then the next week he turns around and throws six interceptions against Arkansas. And he was forcing it against Arkansas. He was trying to, to put balls in places that they didn't need to go. That'll be the question this time. Does he does he do that? You know, or does he just take what the defense is allowing? Because there, there are going to be times when Alabama gets pressure and there's not a throw to be made, that you need to go take the six yards you can take on a scramble. And Matt Corral has a good clock in his head or calculator in his head about how that works and, and used it very effectively last year against Alabama. So if he can do that, we're in for a really close game that probably comes down to the fourth quarter. We'll be right back after these words. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. So it sounds like we're both picking, uh, going back to the beginning, BC, Arkansas, and Ole Miss all to cover. To cover. Yep. Not necessarily I don't think they win. win. Maybe one of them wins. But I bet one of them wins. We're just not bold enough to say so. I, 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 there's no obvious one. Like last week, Ari and I were all over Arkansas. Like we, the, the, we introduced the Arkansas-Texas A&M segment on last week's show by saying, me asking Ari, Tell me why I shouldn't be all over the Arkansas money line. 
and he couldn't give me an answer. We were both <laughs> all in. There, there's no obvious one there. there there's no obvious one. I'll give you one. one, though, for this week. All right. Tell me why I shouldn't bet the mortgage on Cincinnati against Notre Dame. I can't tell you that. Notre Dame it ranks 128th out of 130 teams in running, running the ball, and they have allowed more sacks than any team but Akron. And they are facing a Cincinnati team that has had one of the best defenses in the country the last couple of years. The best thing that could have happened to Cincinnati was the fourth quarter of the Notre Dame-Wisconsin game. The best thing. Yeah. Because Notre Dame and Wisconsin were essentially playing to a draw for three quarters. They were in a rock fight. Both of them looked terrible. And then Wisconsin decided to melt down in the fourth quarter. And it makes Notre Dame look great. It makes Wisconsin look terrible. But if you're Cincinnati and you're sitting there resting, you're looking at that and licking your chops because you're rested. They're beat up. The things they're bad at, you're good at exploiting. Like it is really kind of just playing into Luke Fickle's hands. Notre Dame won. The final score was 41 to 13 blowout and Notre Dame gained 248 yards of offense. Yeah. You know what it is? Yeah. It's the 20, you're going to remember this one. It's the 2021 version of Will Muschamp's Florida team beating South Carolina by like 30. I was at that game. While getting so outgained by. the strangest box yeah. score I've ever seen in my life. Like if you read the box score and hid the score from people, there would be, you'd have no idea that Florida won that game in a blowout. You would think South Carolina crushed them. Yeah. Like it, it wasn't it, quite that wild. extreme, but. So my point being, look. Notre Dame, Kyle Hamilton, you know, they've got playmakers on defense. If they intercept uh, Desmond Ritter a couple times, if they have a kick return like they did against Notre, uh, against Wisconsin, then then we're talking. But if it's more like who's going to do a better job moving the ball, it's, you know, I'll take Desmond Ritter over Jack Cohen or, or Drew Pine or whoever ends up out there for Notre Dame. Speaking of Wisconsin – as we talk about what does Vegas know lines. Wisconsin, as bad as they looked in that fourth quarter against Notre Dame, a two-point favorite against Michigan, against 4-0 Michigan, which looked good the first three games of the season and looked great the first half of the Rutgers game. The second half of the Rutgers game was the one where I went, uh-oh. They, they might not be any different or all that yeah. much different than they were last year. And I think we get the answer to that this week. How different are they? We're going to find out when they play the Badgers. It surprises me just in that I know that Bill Connolly's ranking, a lot of these power rankings had Michigan going into last week, had Michigan number one or close to number one in just how dominant they had been. Now, I think Rutgers brought them back to earth a little bit. And I think the reality is, like, you can't have Graham Mertz throwing all these interceptions again, right? Then they're going to lose. No, no, Michigan's uh, going to win if, the game if that happens. Yes. But if it's more of a, a each team doing what they try to do, I just this I just think Michigan's um, this experiment of seeing if they can basically turn the clock back fifty years and pass as little as possible, basically pass like a service academy. You know, now you're hitting the part of your schedule where that's not going to work. Um, I, yeah, I don't. I just don't think to, Jim Leonard lets you do that. I don't think Jim Leonard lets you be one dimensional or that one dimensional. And that was my question going into the Rutgers game. Cause I, I had a feeling Greg Shiano would force them to throw. 
And it felt like I'm sitting there at halftime going, okay, you know, they haven't been completely dynamic, but they're, they've moved the ball well enough. You know, the, the, the defense is holding up this, this seems fine. And then the offense couldn't do anything in the second half. And so that's when I, I started to, to be somewhat concerned. I'm going with the Badgers. I think so too. Now the question is, is, does it look like the last couple of games? Because if it, if it looks like the last two Wisconsin, Michigan games, then I think you may have your answer on the Jim Harbaugh overarching question. Cause Michigan has just quit the last two games against Wisconsin. Yeah. I don't think Wisconsin has that in them this year. Yeah, that that's the part. I don't know. I mean, they averaged 6.3 yards a carry against Michigan in in 2019. They averaged 6.7 yards a carry against Michigan in 2020. Wisconsin has not been great running the ball against decent competition this year that they couldn't move the ball against Penn state or Notre Dame. Really? If they can run on Michigan, it's going to get ugly. If they can't, then we're in for a pretty good game. And I, I think that's really what it comes down to is, is can Michigan hold up against against Wisconsin's run game? And if they can, then then there's a real good chance they win this game. But I, I've, Ari and I have been pointing this game all offseason as the one that tells us the most about Jim Harbaugh and the future because this is this is some this is a something he has to overcome. Like they cannot be the team that gets blown out by Wisconsin every year. They can't. Like it's one thing to be the team that gets blown out by Ohio State every year, but you can't be the team that gets blown out by Wisconsin every year if you want to be what Michigan wants to be. So this is the chance to prove you're not. I agree. Uh, I do think that if 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 Michigan goes in here and wins this game like twenty one to ten. I don't know that the story coming out, like you would have thought before the season, right? The story would be, okay, Harbaugh's figured it out. The story will probably be more that, gosh, Wisconsin's an absolute mess. This program that we've come to expect to play at a certain level. I mean, Graham Mertz is the lowest rated passer in the Big Ten. Yeah, he's not been good. good. Yeah. Now, Ari has them just scrapping everything. Forget everything Barry Alvarez built. Forget, you know, the the all the success they had under Bielema and they, that they've had under Paul Chris. Uh, don't do that anymore. Just change it up, ch- change it wholesale. No, I disagree with that. I, I think they're not running the ball very well this year that they, they need to block better. And that is a, that is a common theme. I was on, I was on with our, our friends, Dan and Ty on the solid verbal. And I think what we have this season in multiple places is a lot of people thinking that teams are are having existential crises when really they're just having they're just have bad offensive lines this year. Clemson, now, what's your theory on that? Because Wisconsin, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Notre Dame, mm-hmm. Wisconsin are places that you just expect every year, no matter how many guys they lose, they're going to yep. have a great offensive line. What you happened? Can't, you can't have a great one every year. It's it's hard. It's hard to get five guys to play that well together all the time. Right. So I, I just think. That's a piece of it. And who knew that Creed Humphrey was the greatest center? <laughs> listen, <laughs> was the most important center that has ever played. Too, but, but the other thing is it, it's, it's the hardest thing to fix midseason. Like if you have an offensive line that's not working, you, you, it's, it's rare that you see it get fixed midstream because 
if you don't have like this really good player who's just out because of injury, who comes back and, and everything, then coalesces around him, then there's probably not much you can do because right. putting in young guys, it's not the same as putting in a young cornerback. You know, the young cornerback can probably physically stand up to, to whatever he's facing. Young offensive lineman is going to be different physically than he will be in a year or, or in two years. And if they're playing against a 22-year-old, 330-pound defensive tackle, it's a bad matchup, even if that young offensive lineman is a future NFL player. It's just hard. So I think that's that's the problem that you're seeing. And, and since we're talking about this, let's get to Oklahoma. Because our friend Joel Klatt had a great video this week where he explained everything that, that Oklahoma's offense is not doing, and the, the answer to it is they're not blocking. Like, if they could run the ball at will like they have been in the past few years, the offense would look fine. We'd think Spencer Rattler was great. People wouldn't be chanting for Caleb Williams. But that's not where they're at. They're not blocking very well. And now, speaking of another line, another double-digit line, where I'm like, are you sure here? <laughs> Oklahoma, 10.5-point favorite, going to Manhattan. Kansas State has beaten them two years in a row. If you've never been to a game in Manhattan, it is an extremely hostile environment. They are loud. They are rowdy. It's a great place to watch a game, unless, unless you're the road team. I think that's, that line is, I would think, at least in part because Skylar Thompson's still out. Skylar Thompson Correct. has been a big part of those two upsets the last couple of years. Um, not a lot of faith in in Will Howard, especially after Oklahoma State really took it to them last week. Um, I also think there's probably some people who feel like at any moment Oklahoma will, offense will snap out of this and and be fine. And but to your point, like that would require some sort of magic solution on the offensive line. This is another one where I'm not willing to. I'm not brave enough to pick the outright upset, but I am picking a K-State to cover. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're happy to pick the cover. And, and that's this could be a this would be a very low scoring game. And, and this would Ari and I talked about last week. Who knew that Oklahoma's defense would be the thing carrying the Sooners? It really is. But the possessions are going to be very limited in this game. Both teams are going to be trying to to suck possessions out of the game because I don't think either one feels like they're all that explosive right now. Are people I hope people are, are done with the Big 12 defense jokes. Because oh, yeah. there it's are totally some different now. There are some really good Oklahoma State, who for years you just mocked that has a really good defense. We saw two really good defenses last week with Oklahoma and West Virginia. K State uh, shut down Stanford in the opener, uh, shut down Carson Strong from Nevada. So you know, I think uh, they're not uh, they're not going to put eight thousand guys in the NFL like the SEC does every year on defense, but. They're playing really good defense. Can I tell you my offensive line theory? Absolutely. As a former offensive lineman, I would love to hear if you think there's any legitimacy to this because I, it's not, it's there's no way to prove it, and I'm making it up out of thin air. So everybody talks about <laughs> oh, the pandemic last year. Like these teams are really, you know, they're still mm -hmm. struggling from the pandemic. There's no way to prove that, right? But I was thinking right. about offensive linemen. Offensive line, like you said, it's not a position where. Like by the time a guy becomes the new starting cornerback, he's probably been in on a lot of nickel packages mm -hmm. and rotated in, done a defensive. Yep. But generally speaking, 
if you got a good offensive line, those guys play all the snaps. So last year, when you would have been developing the next wave, they missed spring practice. Mm-hmm. Almost every team, I feel like, had their offensive line in quarantine at some point during the season. Or their defensive line was in quarantine, and the offensive line didn't have anybody to block. Um, they didn't get their usual amount of bowl practices, if any. Is it possible these guys just the next wave just isn't ready? That's not a bad theory. Now, I will say in the better programs, you do have your swing guys who come in, like a six-man type guy who comes in and plays various positions. And so there, there are some guys that that do play and and are then ready to become starters. But the the lack of contact for a year, I think, is the better part yeah. of that theory. The because I know everybody thinks you're not supposed to hit at practice anymore, and and that you know that's caveman mentality. You have to practice what you actually do in the games to do it effectively. And there was a lot of there were a lot of opportunities that were taken away to do that for the young offensive line. I, th- I actually think that's a very good theory, Stuart. I, 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 I like it. Awesome. I, I, I do because those are just reps against those types of defensive linemen were missed out on. And so like they're usually doing it before the, the bowl game now. is a good time to like give your, your younger guys more reps. Mm-hmm. If you remember last year, Oklahoma and Florida played their bowl game like 10 days after the season ended. I'm, I'm yes. guessing they got in like a one regular week of practice. So, oh, and, and it was barely that. I mean, like you know, Oklahoma still had most of their team. Florida, their best players didn't even play in the bowl game. So, right. yeah, I, it's it's not it's not the same. But you're exactly right. That no spring practice, no normal bowl practice, and now what that means is maybe some of these lines do round into form as the season goes on, but. It also may be that some of them are just not as good as the ones, and, and it would be weird if they if it were that case, if that were the case in at Clemson, at Notre Dame, at Oklahoma, at Wisconsin. All it's at a once. weird coincidence. It's a weird coincidence. Yeah. I do think Clemson of the four is in the worst shape. I think their offensive line, yeah, like and that's why I said last week on it to begin with, and now it's like a bunch of young guys and it's a mess. That's why I said last week that that Dabo needs to reconsider his no transfers policy because that's a place where if you start taking some transfers and, and you'd be very select, obviously Clemson has the, the the privilege of being very selective. If they start doing that, you cherry pick the best potential, you know, the best possible people out of the portal and plug in only where you need to plug in. Yeah. You I can mean, find a quality starter. They're losing transfers. Wisconsin starting running back. I bet they'd love to have him back right now. <laughs> in their backfield. So yeah, you, you got to take transfers elsewhere. Yeah. I, I think, cause I, I just think that's the way you fix some of these issues. Clemson recruits well enough, almost everywhere else that they're going to have whatever they need. But if you get into a situation and that I'm not talking about a situation in season, once you're in season, it's too late. But if you're in a situation where going into the spring or coming out of the spring, you're like, you know what? I don't know if this group's going to be good enough that's where you very strategically grab one or two. And that might be all you need. That, that might be what, what puts you over and gives you a functional line versus what we're seeing right now. Um, another line, Stuart, that, that seems to ignore history. And I'm not going to say ignore logic because logically it makes sense. 
Texas is a five and a half point favorite against TCU. TCU has dominated Texas since going into the Big 12. Is this sort of a is Texas different type of game? Is that is that what it yes. is that what this means? Yes. Uh TCU has dominated this game this series, but I think a lot of it has been a combination of like this is Gary Patterson's circle the calendar game every year, right? He loves taking it to Texas, whereas Texas I think has feels like they've got bigger fish to fry. Um in fact, Gary Patterson this week, when he was ranting about SMU planting the flag, was like, I've got my mind on the Longhorns. Gary yeah. needs to get over that. You you lost to SMU. That's embarrassing enough. Don't whine about it for a week. And then, you know, people will mock this, right, until the day Texas hosts, you know, has does something of note. But, like, I do think it's a different Texas team. Tom Herman's Texas teams just were so undisciplined. And, and turnovers in the wrong moments and and, and whatnot. Um, yes, they got their butts kicked by Arkansas. Arkansas, it turns out, was pretty good. They went and hung 70 on Texas Tech last week. Um, I think Bijan Robinson, when's the last time Texas had a guy like that? Uh, Casey Thompson taking over as quarterback has made a difference. So uh, I like Texas in this one. Um, and that's not to say that, that like, TCU is bad by any means. Just think uh, the circumstances are a little different this year. Well, TCU might be bad by by the standards of what they want. You know, they, I, I would assume they want to compete for Big 12 titles. Well, if you can't beat SMU, you're probably not going to compete for Big 12 titles. Yeah, it doesn't seem like they're, it still doesn't seem like they're there yet um, if they're ever going to get back there. So I just uh, – with Texas, do we – it's hard for me because they got – just beaten so thoroughly by Arkansas. And I realize the quarterback change may make all the difference, but are we starting to look at Texas like one of the best teams in the big 12? Like if they, if they play well this week, are we going to favor them against Oklahoma? I, uh, I already went there Uh, in my, you know, I do a new year's six bowl projections every Monday. I went ahead and slotted Texas into that sugar bowl, big 12 champion spot. Wow. Wow. I think Oklahoma is living on borrowed time. Iowa State, I don't know what's going on there, but they're not the team we thought they would be. I do like Oklahoma State. I, I, you know, they could, let's see what they do this week against Baylor. But um, we just talked about earlier, all these great defenses this year in the Big 12. Texas, to me, is the only team that has the makings of a, what we normally think of as a big 12 high prolific offense. Wow. I think you're right. Now, Oklahoma may disprove us and, and against Texas, they'll, they'll have their chance in, in about nine days. So we'll, we'll find out, but just to be clear, I think the big 12 champ will might be nine and three, (laughs) but it will exactly. You put them in the sugar bowl. You didn't put them in the playoff. No, Uh, no, let, let's stay in the lone star state because uh, a and M, Against Arkansas last week, the offense was bad. If you watched the Colorado game, you knew that the offense wasn't very good anyway. And so the question is, can they be what they want to be before Haynes King comes back? And I don't know the answer to that, but this game against Mississippi State feels really like a statistical anomaly type game where the quarterbacks may throw a hundred passes. They may combine to throw a hundred passes, but this might be like a 13 to 10 game. 
you got to think, I mean, the thing that puzzles me about Texas A&M is Isaiah Spiller is really good. Yes. Um, Devon A-Chain, I love that name, is really good. He's really fast. Uh, they should be able to run the ball on teams, even if their quarterback is not very good. That is the the question, and they did now they they did pop the big run against Arkansas, and I know the A and M fans were were going nuts saying why well, just keep running it, just keep it. Well, it goes back to what we were talking about with Arkansas and Georgia against good teams. You can't be one dimensional. You have to you have to be able to do both. Once you say this is all we're going to be able to do, that's when they really bare their teeth. So. That, that's the, the issue that A&M has. They do need to be able to throw the ball somewhat. But I'll be curious because this, this is two good defenses. Like Mississippi State's defense is good. You yeah. know, the NC State team that beat Clemson, they didn't do much against Mississippi State. And we know A&M's defense is good. So I, I just – that one one – yeah, that one is going to feel like an old uh, 2008 SEC game. Like it's not going to be 3-2, but it could be something close to that. I think A&M will shut down Mississippi State's offense. I think it's a <clears throat> Mike Elko will be ready for that one. I mean, really, they 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 did pretty well against Arkansas, except they had two completely busted. Uh, do these guys are these guys interested in tackling today? Uh, long plays in the first half. So, um, but the problem neither is neither result would surprise is, me. But I'm gonna go with A&M. Their offense is moving it so poorly, they're giving the other team a lot of possessions. And yep. I don't know that you want to do that with Mississippi State. We'll be right back after this message from one of our lovely sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, we got Florida, Kentucky. This game felt a lot more interesting before the last couple of weeks. Kentucky hasn't looked that great. I think they're going to need to be their best selves if they want to if they want to have a chance here. Yeah, Kentucky has been. You know, I feel bad. The fans got so excited after that first game, and it's like, guys, Louisiana Monroe is one of the worst teams in FBS. Um, now you're starting to see it look a little bit more like a Mark Stoops Kentucky offense. Um, I know there's been some crazy additions of this game, but who always ends up winning? Almost all but one year, right? So, um, and Anthony Richardson's coming back, which will be an interesting. That's the interesting thing because I'm now more in the line of thinking that they are going to use him the way they used Tim Tebow in 2006. That he will be a a package player, especially on short yardage, who comes in. Now, if he comes in and every time he touches the ball it's a touchdown like it, it was in the first two games, then you're right. Maybe you have to make some decisions, but my guess is against better defenses is probably not like that. So well, the thing uh, is he's Emory been out the last Jones, two weeks and Emory Jones has risen to the occasion. Uh, yeah. He's been great in both those games. Yeah. It's basically Emory Jones runs the full menu and Anthony Richardson runs the bar menu. That That's how, <laughs> how, how that works. So Anthony Jones that's a great is, analogy. is your appetizers and your wings. And uh, yeah. Emory Jones is like the entire, or Anthony Richardson is, is appetizers and wings. Emory Jones is more your 
your full Cheesecake Factory menu, you know, the entire book. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But I, I, I feel like Florida minus eight and a half doesn't feel outlandish at this point. And I, I would have told you three weeks ago that that's crazy. Why would you have Florida favored by that much? But it, it feels about right now. LSU, three and a half point favorite at home against Auburn, potentially TJ Finley starting for Auburn. TJ Finley, mm-hmm. who started for LSU against Auburn last year, who went through spring practice with LSU. Uh, we're going to see this more often with the transfer rules the way they are, but this is the first time we're seeing it. It's kind of wild. Well, especially given he's from there. So yeah, going back to Baton Rouge as an Auburn Tiger, possibly as the starting quarterback, the guy who finally displaced Bo Nix. Oof, it's a, I, I don't have any strong – I picked LSU to cover, but I don't really feel all that strongly either way. I have no idea what's going to happen in this game. I still feel like Auburn's a mystery. You know, They played well against Penn State, and they, they nearly lost to Georgia State. LSU was better against Mississippi State than they were against UCLA. Uh, they certainly seem to be more willing to just get up and snap the ball and and throw it, you know, get find a way to get it to Kayshawn Boutte and let him make a play, which I think is a, a it's a good way to go. And then defensively, they they did exactly what you need to do against an air raid team to stop it. Now they're going to play a more conventional offense, and and can they stop that? I I don't know. I, I think we. Maybe we'll feel like we know something about one of these teams when this game ends, but I'm just, I'm here for whatever weirdness this game wants to give us. The main reason I've been down on Auburn last season going into this season was because I just didn't see Bo Nix progressing. So if this, if switching quarterbacks ends up having a big effect on them, then they could be pretty good. Um, But I I don't know. I, I, like you said, I mean, I, th- I think Max Johnson, you know, is not getting enough credit. He's he's playing very well for LSU as well. Yeah, I, I think he's playing uh, exceptionally well considering how they haven't blocked as well as they could have for him. And I, I think that could get a lot better as the season goes on. LSU has the talent to win every game left on its on, on schedule. The, the question is, can they put everything together? Because they also, b- because it's LSU – could potentially lose most of their SEC games. And then I just think it's going to be, it's going to be incredible to see what happens because they're, they have the highest ceiling and the lowest floor. I feel like of any team in the country. So Stuart, you mentioned you. Ha- yeah, let's, let's talk possible upset. And we've, we've done a lot okay. of, um, yeah, I think they can cover, but not the upset. My upset special this week is the Friday night game, number five, Iowa, going to Maryland. Usually a good sign that a team is rated too high is when they're the number five team in the country and Vegas has them as only a three and a half point favorite against an unranked Maryland team. I think maybe people are starting to realize that, first of all, you know, those two Indiana-Iowa State wins seemed really big at the time. Both of those teams have gone on to be pretty disappointing. And also... Iowa has no offense. If they don't get two pick sixes, if they don't force four or five turnovers, suddenly Colorado State can hang with them for a little while. I think you're right about that. And and the other thing is Maryland is good. Like, why is Maryland unranked? Like, the West Virginia win looks really good now, given the way West Virginia played Oklahoma. And... Listen, they went. They they needed a walk off against Illinois, but that's a road game in conference 
on a Friday night, like it's hard. To, yeah. Guess what? It's as, as I was about to learn, it's hard to be a road favorite on a weeknight. Yeah. I mean, look, this is, <laughs> if I'm Kirk Ferentz, I'm calling up Kevin Warren, like, come on, really? You're sending us to Maryland on a Friday night. Um, it's not ideal. Uh, so yeah, I like the Terps in that one. And let me alert you to an upset possibility right here in my backyard here in, in this, in Silicon Valley. Go for the it. Number three, Oregon Ducks are coming to Palo Alto. I was and about to mention this because is this yours? Oregon's got a mulligan just sitting they there. Got they a mulligan. They're going to stub their toe at some point. They're coming to face a Stanford team that is two and two and everybody, I fully, you know, I don't think they're going to have a great season. Their defense is terrible. Tanner McKee is quietly emerging as a breakout star quarterback. And I'm not surprised. I've heard great things about him all offseason. Um, that Oregon defense, obviously, they beat Ohio State on the road. All credit to them. But we saw them give up a lot of yards to C.J. Stroud. And frankly, they just haven't played that well since that game. I mean, the Arizona game, if you were up late, was a one-score game. 24-19 at the beginning of the fourth quarter. And Arizona's terrible. So... Now, Kayvon Thibodeau is supposed to be coming back for this one. That's a difference maker. So I think if you're looking at that schedule and saying, who, where's the one spot where that would be right for, for Oregon to stub its toe? I think it's this one. That's right. So I, I can't figure out if it's this one or UCLA. That's another road game. I don't consider that, though, like a, that, that could be a, you know, Pac-12 championship preview. Like that wouldn't be a, a stunner. This one, I know it's an eight-point spread, but like, I, I get the sense most of the country doesn't even isn't even thinking like this is a possible upset. Yeah, I, I think th- this has been one of those where Oregon under Cristobal has had some hedge scratchers. They they had the Arizona State game in 2019, they had the Oregon State game last year. Until they prove that they can be consistent and and win all the games they're supposed to win, there's I'm going to assume there's going to be one of these every year. So I, I think this is a great assumption. Here, this is this is a good spot to pick that. You ready to go for it? You committing to the duck to the to the cardinal? They're wearing they're wearing. By the way, they're breaking out the Jim Plunkett fiftieth anniversary throwback unis for this one. So they're going to look like they're they're even more out of the past than their offense makes them look. <laughs> good lord! Yeah, I'm, now, now, they already have a nineteen seventy one style offense. So now they're just going to wear clothes to match it. Can can I can I just go with the theme of this episode and pick them to cover and not to win. Sure. Understood. The I only one like, I'm I feel like committing that's all we've to, done, but I feel, I feel very confident in that and not confident in picking them outright. The only one I'm committing to outright is uh, Maryland. I, I think that's a, that's a good pick. I, I, I have a kind of, it's not a hard and fast rule, but it is a, you know, d- don't, don't take a road favorite on a weeknight. Like, never take a road favorite on a weeknight to cover. That that does yeah. not usually work out very well for you. So, Stuart Mandel, I am uh, I'm even more excited about this this Saturday and well, this whole weekend with with the Friday game. More excited about this weekend than I was when we started this thing. These games are going to be great. It's an absolutely loaded Saturday. I mean, to the point where. You know, Bruce and I picked the, what we think are the 10 most important or most relevant games. And we couldn't even squeeze Oregon, Stanford, or um, US, UCLA, ASU in there. So it's, uh, it's, it's going to be a lot, to, uh, a lot to keep track of. 
I, I cannot wait. Stuart, thank you so much for joining us. It's going to be a blast this weekend. And I, I look forward to, uh, to our texts and our Slack conversations and all of, all of the chatter we're going to have because we're going to have a lot to talk about all weekend. Thanks for having me on, Andy. 